Live from the Business Radio X studio in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Business Radio. Brought to you by Practice Quotient. Practice Quotient bridges the gap between the provider and payer communities. Now here's your host, Patrick O'Rourke. Hi there, friends of Dental Business Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Patrick O'Rourke uh, with Dental Business Radio. I want to first give a big thank you to our sponsor, Practice Quotient. PPO analysis and negotiation, top-tier compensation for top-tier providers. If you are a top-tier provider and you do not feel like you're getting top-tier compensation from your insurance carrier business partners, yes, I did say business partners, then you should contact the professionals at Practice Quotient, www.practicequotient.com. Thank you to everybody at Practice Quotient. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we have a treat for you today. We have... Dr. Rich Maddow from Baltimore, well, kind of an international superstar, really, author, uh, entrepreneur, dentist, influencer, musician, um, amateur pro wrestler. Which, what did I get wrong? What did I miss? It's amateur pro ladies jello wrestler. Got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. So it was a little low on my list. The ink ran out. Um, <laughs> So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, tell the listeners, Rich, about you. Wow. I, well, since this is dental business radio, I'll, I'll stick to the, the somewhat dental uh, part of my D- life. Is it jello wrestling? It, we can fit that in. I'm just we saying. use sugar-free jello, just, you know, just for the record. What about gluten? I don't care about gluten. I don't, even know, what a, I don't know what a gluten is. I, 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 I actually order a large bowl of gluten sometimes just, you know, just to, Stick it to the gluten-free people. Um, anyway, I am an actual dentist, although I, I haven't practiced for many years, but I um, attended dental school at University of Maryland in my hometown of Baltimore, where I still live. Did a fantastic general practice residency in Miami Beach at Mount Sinai Medical Center. Um, came back home, had a few horrible, crappy, nightmarish associateships, then went out on my own and purchased a bankrupt practice with a for sale sign on it. In 1985, can you, 1986. Can you imagine somebody had a practice? They were seeing patients, and there was a sign that said "dental practice for sale." I mean, that would, it was pretty unbelievable. And people that was still came practice. in there, and they were like, "Hey, yes, I need some dental care." Well, not many because the practice actually was bankrupt when I when I bought it. So, um, people ask if I started from scratch. I say I actually started from below scratch because I I spent money on a practice that was underwater. Didn't seem too bright. Um, Anyway, that was a long time ago, and um, about a, a few years after that, my brother, Dr. David Maddow, also a dentist, and I'm one of three brothers who are all dentists, which is a really weird family trait. Um, we were kind of brainstorming on ways to improve our practices and actually developed a collection form, one single piece of paper to send to our patients who weren't paying. Now, remember, this is you know way before all the modern ways that we have today to allow patients ease in payment. So patient, you know, in the old days, you saw a patient, you did a procedure and you sent them a bill, drill, fill and bill, we used to call it. And one of the big problems with that is some patients just didn't feel like paying. And <laughs> not that a dentist, they're rich. I'm not going to pay, who cares? So we developed this form and it was really unique. I don't need to describe it here, but let's just say it was a little bit 
threatening without being too harsh. It just seemed to work. We sent it to our patients. They would come in the next day, cash in hand. And we shared it with some of our dental friends and they said it worked too. And we decided, you know what, maybe there's something really cool here. And we developed this into a product and learned about marketing and direct mail sales and all these things and started, we rented a PO box and a kitchen table and used an old Toyota pickup truck. So this was a true kitchen table business way back when. Um, And we started trying to sell this to our colleagues. And within about a year's time, we had 30,000 customers using our collection forms, mostly dentists, but somehow the word got out. We had funeral homes and florists and veterinarians buying this form. And that led to some notoriety in the dental field. I started submitting some articles to dental economics and they got published. And um, that's how we started to get well-known. Then we were asked to do speaking all across the country. We started our our own large Las Vegas dental convention called TBSE, which I hope many of your listeners have attended over its 25-year history, and um, began helping our colleagues with coaching and consulting on a one-on-one basis, make their practices better. And that's a really, really nutshell version of the story that's taken 30 years to unfold. But I will say through the whole thing, um, we always focus on, of course, helping our dentists increase their revenue. Everybody wants to make more money, but I'm a big believer in having fun too. You got to have fun. If you hate going to work every day, but you're making money, that's a negative happiness equation. That is not good. So we always focus on the fact that the dentist and the team has to love going to work every single day or else what good is increasing your revenue? And that's, uh, that's pretty much my story, dentally anyway. My dental Maybe, part. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, you can tell me about wrestling the tiger um, another time when we're doing sure. a different show. Um, but we you, we'll come back to that another day. Uh, let's go back to the collection. So this is an interesting thing. So just to clarify, you did not drive around Baltimore with a baseball bat in your trunk. This is not the secret sauce. Baseball bat in the trunk. It's funny you mentioned that. I, as I've done seminars all across the world, mostly in the U.S. and Canada, it, it's so nice that when you're in someone else's city, they give you a little gift. Usually, they'll give you like you know the famous potato chips made in that town and a little can of, of home brewed beer. Not home brewed, but you know locally brewed beer, and that's really great. And and those are you know they're gone by the time you get back on the plane. But of all the presents that anybody's ever given me, the one that I've kept for the longest is a baseball bat. When I spoke at University of Louisville, the home of the Louisville Slugger, they gave mm-hmm. me a bat with my name engraved on it. That's and, awesome. Um, I, I keep it under the bed. I tell our wife, it's our, my wife, our wife, we don't share a wife. I tell my wife, it's <laughs> not yet. We, I tell my wife, it's our, our home alarm system. Um, but no, I, I, I didn't drive I, around I did the same thing, actually. with a baseball bat. This was a really cool form. It was um, two pieces of paper. It was called NCR paper. So if you're familiar with that, you write on the writer type on the top copy, then the bottom copy is yellow and it comes through and like you can tell that there's another paper. copy somewhere. Right, exactly. Exactly. So the psychological trick is we would mail the patient the second cop, the second layer, the copy, so they knew there was an original floating around somewhere. Like, where's the original? Did it go to the courts, to a lawyer? What's going on here? And it just worked. It was really cool. You know, it's just a a number of things I've learned over the years. Um, I think in the art of influence, how to get people to do what you want them to do, just little tricks and tips. And it, it was really cool. And people still purchase the form. We're not a big fan at the Matter Center of billing. I, I always believe in payment must be made on or before the day of treatment. Mm-hmm. But so, sometimes it happens. People still have patients that owe the money, and thousands of people still use our collection form, which just is hilarious. 
Gotcha. So let me throw something at you. Um, one of the things, one of the challenges that are happening right now across the country is that there are um, some insurers are have made the decision to prevent assignment of benefits to non-participating providers, which is um, not permitted by state statute in many states. Um, my personal opinion is that it invites insurance fraud and kind of goes against all of our codes of ethics. Um, that is my my personal opinion. Um, but as an insurance professional for 20 plus years, I know you guys are listening. Um, so, but anyway, that scares the bejesus out of the general dentist um, for some reason. The specialist doesn't kind of blow it off. They're like, whatever, we'll just call it the front. Um, what would you say? So, I wouldn't, this has been happening for a while, but it's really, it's a big problem in say California, um, uh, North Carolina, Western PA. Uh, it, what, what counsel would you have to, you know, our listeners that are experiencing this, this challenge, this predicament? Wow. It's a great question. I'm not sure I have the answer. I, we can, let's talk about it though. And I'll say right up front. Sure. That's um, what it's all about. Our coaches at the Matter Center are much better at the details of insurance plans and reimbursements and things like that than I am. But, you know, as a former practicing dentist, um, I've struggled with insurance companies, so I, I know what people are getting at. Um, well, first of all, let's say I think it's a, a mistake for somebody to throw their hands in the air and say, I've had it with the insurance companies. I'm going to go fee for service without doing a lot of planning. And I've seen people do that much to their detriment. And so, again, even though I don't really have a specific answer to your question, I just want to caution people to do that. Insurance companies frustrate the hell out of us. But, you know, for many of us, our practices wouldn't do nearly as well or couldn't even survive without them. And, you know, I know a bunch of fee-for-service dentists who have incredible practices, but I, I just fear that everybody can't really do it. It's just not something that's in everybody's skill set. So... It's great to go hear a fantastic lecturing dentist say, I dropped all my insurance, and it's great to make that your goal, but don't throw your hands in the air one day and say, I've had it with these damn insurance companies. I'm going 100% for you for service. That, that's something that takes careful planning, You know, dropping your worst plans one at a time, doing a lot of um, new patient strategies to replace those patients so you don't dig a hole for yourself because you know, you know the you know what to do when you're when you find yourself digging a hole, stop digging or whatever, something crazy like that. So that, that is that a terrific euphemism, Rich. I've heard, yeah, euphemism. Lies. Um, I, I know that doesn't answer your question exactly, but I think that's the first thing I want to throw out there to avoid people getting in trouble through their frustration with this. Um, I couldn't agree with you more there. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I've I've seen it lots, and there's some quasi fee for service only movements, and I say bravo. There's um, when I'm lecturing across the country, um, you know, it doesn't matter where I'm at, right? So I'm the insurance guy and I get up there and they're like, you just don't understand, Pat. We're in Chicago and it's very managed care friendly here. You just don't understand. I'm like, oh yeah, here's, here's my shock face. I haven't heard that in Tampa and Miami and New York and Omaha and Louisville and Denver and LA and Dallas and, you know, BFE Kentucky and BFE Tennessee and you name it. Everybody says the same exact thing. And then I've always, I'm like, all right, so who in the, in the room is a fee for service only practice? So inevitably hands go up. Right. And I'm like, see, they're not unicorns. They exist. Now that said, like, there's no one size fits all solution. And that's really what I, I think. And that's been my observation. Um, now, 
and and I've certainly heard the fee for service only. And listen, bravo, man, hats off to everybody who can do it. I think that that's you know you know blaze your own path. But again, it's just it's different strategies, different patient acquisition retention strategies. And I think you brought up a really good point, which is like it's not in everybody's skill set. That's outside of my skill set um, to really determine that in a lot of ways. And so there's let's talk about being a dental practice management consultant. Um, so, you know, I'm from corporate, um, you know, just to be clear. And when I got into this business niche, there was um, some different things uh, that I couldn't, uh, to be polite, I couldn't wrap my arms around. And so um, I had met probably some practice management consultants that wouldn't be considered, uh, you know, the highest of caliber. And so my first experiences with them, I, I didn't have a great impression. And so I am sure that in all of your days, you have had many different experiences with lots of different types of folks. Um, for our listeners, you know, what criteria, how do you know whether somebody's a good practice management consultant or somebody who's just blowing smoke? Wow. Great question. Um, you know, the old saying, the proof is in the pudding, of course, I think really is key. You know, you know, somebody who has not only has a great reputation, but can show you that they've worked with practices like yours and have had a record of success. But, but, but be careful because success can be measured in so many different ways. And I, we can talk for a long time about this question. It's a really interesting one. Uh, as I've said earlier, it's not just about revenue. I think a lot of people can go into a practice and show that in six months they increase your revenue significantly. But then you've got to look at, well, how do they do it? Is the team in disarray? Do they come in and fire people? Um, you know, does everybody love their job or does everybody feel like they're walking on eggshells all day long? Um, do they do it ethically? And I got to tell you, when I had my practice early on, as I said, I had a bankrupt practice and I'm a big believer in getting professional help. And I realized that, hey, I could probably grow this practice faster if I get some professional help. So I contacted a consulting company. They've been around for a while. I thought they had a good reputation. And they came in and, and said, um, first of all, the way we're going to grow your revenue is any patient that has a three surface restoration, which I know this is not a clinical show, but let's say a, yeah, a okay. decent, size, decent size filling. Any, yeah. any patient has a three, even if it's completely intact, that tooth is going to need a crown eventually. So let's just treatment plan it for a crown today and get it over with. Okay. Unethical. So I think it's really important that you gauge the ethics of the coaching or consulting company you're working with. Secondly, uh, I found, I think the first three, and I work with a ton of them. The first three companies I worked with had cookie cutter approaches. They would come in and say, let's just, we'll make up a name. We'll call it, um, we'll call it Nirvana Consulting. Kind of like that name. Maybe we should call a company that. So they would say, okay, this is the Nirvana Consulting methodology. Month one, we're going to teach you this. Month two, we're going to teach you that. Month three, we're going to, and they, they didn't look at my practice and know what made my practice tick. And every practice is different. Every dentist, every team member, every procedure mix, every geographic area, they're mm -hmm. a little bit different. And let's just say that, you know, my practice had trouble. I'll just throw something out there. Um, we, we couldn't convince patients to get their perio treatment done. We were very bad at, at, at diagnosing perio therapy. Well, they didn't look into it and say, this is where the practice needs help. They just came in and said, this is the way that we do it. And they told us and they lectured to us instead of learning about our practice and working with us to develop the proper protocol. So I think it's really important when you work with a consulting company 
to find out, is it truly customized or do they have their modules and phases and videos that they use on every single practice? Um, so I'm, I'm glad to say at the Matter Center, we are truly customized, which can make our sales process, so to speak, a little a little bit different because a little bit difficult because a dentist will mm-hmm. say, well, tell, tell me what you do. Tell me what you're going to do for my practice. And I'll say, I got to tell you the truth. Until we get in there and observe and ask and see what, what makes your practice tick, I can't tell you exactly what we're going to do. So I think it's really important that you get a customized approach. Mm-hmm. Third, great answer. There, Go ahead. There are a lot of coaches or consultants out there who are, let's just say, business people and decided, hey, I think I can make a killing if I go into dentistry, I heard dentists have a lot of money and they're not great business people and they're willing to throw it at me. And they go in there and know nothing about dentistry, but, but start telling other dentists what to do. And, you know, there are some really well-known successful consultants who I would put in that category. So um, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent necessary, but I think it's a real plus that whoever's top level with the coaching or consulting company that you're working with, they're an actual dentist. You know, there's there's some things that I experienced as a dentist that non-dental people just can never understand. You know, I've been puked on, I've been bitten, I've argued with insurance companies. Stop I've it, had, John Ray. I've had <laughs> I've had prima donna team members. I know what it's like to prep the distal of tooth number two on a patient who's bleeding and salivating and has a twitch. I mean, th- these are it's kind of like like we're army buddies. And mm-hmm. until you've experienced that, you really don't know what it's like. So I think it's easier for me and for my coaching team to talk to a dentist and team members about things they can change, ways they can improve, because we know what it's like. Mm. So yeah, I think yeah, those that, are all that interesting. Make, that makes perfect sense. Like, so I know what an apicoectomy is, and I can spell it, wow. but I can't do it. So I, and sometimes I get questions and people are like, well, you know, what do you think we should do? And I'm like, I'm, I'm not clinical at all. You're the doctor. You tell me, I just need to know what you do. Um, but right. uh, so it's when you're kinda- talking about like, when you're talking about treatment, planning a patient, um, how can you know exactly how to do it? Unless you've been in there toe to toe with a patient telling them that, you know, their mouth is a, I was going to say the F word, their mouth yep is mouth. a flipping, di- their mouth is a flipping disaster. And it's going to cost a ton of money to fix it. And how can you phrase that in a kind and courteous way, you know, showing your care and your ethics and all those things? How can you do that? Well, you know, I've done it thousands of times. So I I think I know how to do it. So tell John Ray that he has yuck mouth in a kind, comparing, compassionate way. Because I've been trying to, but I don't... he cries well, every time, you know, John, yeah. John, I need help. Has, has anybody ever told you that your mouth smells like freshly ground horse manure? <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, John Ray, just cause you have a little purple Corvette does not mean that you, your mouth smells like roses. Does everybody listening know who John Ray is? Um, I hope not regular listeners. Sure. And everybody in North Fulton knows who he is because he's the unofficial mayor of North Fulton. North Fulton is where all the cool kids hang out here in Atlanta. Wow. How how do you get to be the unofficial mayor? Very carefully. (laughs) Well, if you really want a serious answer to that, um, I'll tell you what I like to do in my treatment planning. Uh, there, there are many courses, whatever, where you'll say, okay, take this weekend 
treatment planning boot camp, and we're going to teach you how to get patients to say yes. And they pretty much all have the same, you know, the same philosophy. That is, you have a patient, you do this full, crazy two-hour examination. I don't know how you could possibly do a two-hour examination um, with the patient remaining clothed anyway. And then you don't tell them anything except that they have to come back a week later for the big high-pressure treatment plan presentation, and they've got to bring their spouse or their significant other or their kids or their parents, their lawyer, their accountant, their Sherpa, their piano teacher. We're all going to huddle around this room and we're going to show you your x-rays, which they don't know how to read. And we're going to show you your teeth mounted on an articulator, which they don't know what that means. And we're going to throw this piece of paper in front of you and say, you need $20,000 worth of treatment, yes or no. And then they say, and don't worry if the patient says no, because it takes 12 times for somebody to say yes. It's like, well, what does that mean? Like, John, would you like to have this treatment? No. Well, it's okay. I've got 11 more times. You know, John, would you like to have this treatment? No. Oh, no problem. I've got 10 more. Then you keep asking. Then you realize, well, this isn't working. So you, you know, then you flip the sentence. You're like, Yoda, like this treatment, would you like to have? And the problem is <laughs> you're, you're putting a ton of pressure on this person who came into your office because they had a chipped tooth or a little bit of pain, or they were overdue for a cleaning. And you're, you're telling them that they need $20,000 worth of treatment. It's against human nature. It just doesn't work that way. So that's what I don't like to do. I like to start with what we'll call in, in dental terminology, the chief complaint. So John, John, I've seen you smile. You look like you have a beautiful mouth, but we're going to pretend that you have a, a total yuck mouth with a bunch of cracked teeth and gums that are purple, just like your Corvette and, and <laughs> purple rain. Um, I don't know where that came from, but I really like it. I, I can, I cannot picture John now without a purple Corvette. Um, That's true. So let's just say that, that John called the office and said, Hey, I, I think I've got a tooth that's cracked or something, you know, it feels a little sharp. It feels like I lost a filling and he comes in and we do our x-rays and our exam and we find out, yes, he's a total disaster, needs $20,000 worth of treatment. Well, chances are he's not ready to hear that yet. So I always like to start with the patient's chief complaint because 99% of the time, that's going to be what you want to do first anyway. So we're going to talk about that one tooth that he thinks he lost a filling, but it really is fractured. It needs a core and a crown. We're going to talk about that one tooth. But and if I'm going into too much detail, Pat, you just tell me. No, 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 no. I, this, I, am, I am interested. Yes. Since you asked. A lot of it starts with what you do before you start talking to the patient about their treatment. And when we do our examinations, I love to do what's called the talk-over technique because what does a typical dental examination sound like to the patient? Number two, MO, number three, D, number, you know, they don't, and then you do, okay, the perio exam, you know, three, two, three, three, two, three, three, two, three, three, two, three, three, two, four, good one, ha, <laughs> ha, three, two, three. They don't know what's going on. So, the talkover technique is something that we use where the patient's involved in the examination. So let's take the perio exam. Instead of just saying three, two, three, three, two, three, three, two, three, before we do a perio exam, we say, okay, now we're about to check your gums. We're going to check for inflammation and infection. Now notice everything I say is something that any young adult and above could understand. We're not saying, you know, we're checking for signs of periodontitis and seeing if there's a, you know, back, no, no. We're going to check your gums for inflammation and infection. And we use a little ruler that measures how tightly your gums are attached to your teeth. And if you hear a three or a two, that's typically really good. If you hear a four or a five, that means there's a good chance there's inflammation, infection, something like that in there that we don't like. And did you know, John, that most adults who lose teeth 
loose teeth because of gum inflammation and infection, not because their teeth are fractured or old fillings. It's gum disease that makes more adults lose teeth than anything else. That's why we really pay careful attention here. So now you're doing the perio exam and they hear three, three, four, four, five, five. They're thinking, wow, it sounds like my gums aren't all that healthy. I'm expecting the dentist now to tell me that my gums are going to need treatment. And when mm-hmm. we're doing the, the exam of your teeth, instead of saying three MOD, four, we're going to say tooth number three, the upper right molar, has a large three surface filling. It looks like it's fractured where the tooth and the filling meet. And oh, I'm, I'm putting the instrument in there and I can feel there's some decay and bacteria underneath that old filling. Now, this is what I'm saying to my assistant during the charting, instead of saying number three MOD. So now the patient knows, wow, it sounds like the dentist is going to be talking to me about all this stuff, and they're more prepared. Mm-hmm. So then when we're ready to present the treatment to the patient, I'll talk about the chief complaint first. John, you came in, you said you had a tooth on the upper right that you thought had a lost filling. Well, actually, it's a little bit more than a lost filling, and there's an old metal and mercury filling there that's starting to chip away, and there's some bacteria and decay between the tooth and filling where they used to meet. So this is how we're going to treat that. Then that's all we're going to talk about right now. Get the patient excited about that one treatment. Get them scheduled, make the financial arrangements. Now, as you could probably tell during our examination, um, there are a lot of other teeth in the same situation. As a matter of fact, you've got three other big old fillings that are going to need the same treatment. And you know you're missing a tooth on the upper right. And there's some great ways we can replace that tooth with some implants. But first, let's take care of this one tooth that you talked to us about. And then after that, when that tooth is stable and in a temporary crown, we're going to have you come back and see our fantastic hygienist, Becky, for a series of four appointments when you're ready. Because as you could hear, you heard the numbers four and five and six, and there were actually a couple areas where your gums were bleeding. You've probably noticed that before, John, when you've brushed and flossed. Oh, what's that? You don't floss? Well, welcome to the club. Nobody flosses. That's okay, because we're going to take care of that. Uh, We're going to talk to you about how we can get your gums healthy again. So what I'm saying is, going to take care of the chief complaint first. We're going to let the patient know they've got an S load of work that needs to be done. And when you're ready, we're going to do it. We're here ready for you, but we're not going to make you say yes or no to $20,000 worth of treatment the very first day or the second day you meet us. That's ridiculous. That's high pressure. Nobody likes that. Nobody. It's not, Nobody. Yeah, so, I, like, so, I don't even see how that's effective. It puzzles me. Right. But dentists take these high pressure treatment plan presentation courses and they are taught every single time to present full case dentistry, yes or no, $25,000, yes or no. And you got to read your patients too. Some patients come in and say, I know I need a lot of work. I want to get it done. Give me the bad news, doc. Well, that's different, but most patients aren't like that. So you also have to read you know, the needs and the vibes of your patient too. Yeah. So I did learn something. So fun fact, uh, most teeth being lost for adults is because of gum problems, a.k.a perio issues and not Bingo. bar fights learn something exactly new. bar fights are a distant second all right so that's only you john ray <laughs> <laughs> i like it because he can't talk so he can't he can't spar back john ray is a mute i, I didn't know that uh yeah he, he's muted mm-hmm. or he's muted which one uh i think he lost his tongue in a welding accident i'm not sure Sounds like a gruesome welding accident. <laughs> Don't hold the welder with your mouth. I mean, jeez. 
Does everybody know that? I, I don't know. I guess they, they didn't teach you that at public public school. <laughs> was he like welding a connecting rod to his purple Corvette? Is that what happened? Um, that's possible. I'm not sure. And he can't tell us because he's lost his tongue. Um, sorry about that, John, right? I mean, listen, it's all right. Listen, at least you have all four of your appendages in your upright. You know, most of the time. Um, so I like that a lot. Um, and so we can't call anybody out for the high pressure tactics, but it, you know, as somebody who's been in, you know, corporate and been through all kinds of sales training. And, uh, I have to say that most of that high pressure stuff doesn't work these days and people don't like you for it because it's too easy to find out information too, like, like immediately on your phone. Um, and so I think that maybe that worked in the nineties, but you know, not so much. Maybe. Yeah. But you know, you gotta, you gotta play the long game with your patients and it's the best thing for but them. It's, it's like, the right thing to yeah. do too. I mean, no, no wonder some of these guys hate themselves because you're ripping people off. <laughs> so, but, <laughs> well, I'm not sure I go that far. I think, but you know, I, I'm going to say that the, one of the great things about dentistry is that if we get our patients healthy in good dental health, take care of all their dental needs, that's also the best for us financially, as long as you do it ethically. Right. So like if you're, if you're doing this high pressure treatment plan and one out of 20 patients says yes, and you scare the crap out of the rest of them, you're not doing your patients any good because they're not getting their treatment done. If you do a more gentle approach and it takes your patients six months to a year or longer, but they do get their treatment done eventually, that's a win for everyone. The patient's in better health. You're in better health financially. That patient stayed in your practice. They referred some patients because they love the way you treat them. Everybody wins. Right. And I'll have to say that this also, so the number one reason why people don't go to the dentist is because they don't have dental insurance, which is goofy, but uh, I'm not going to change the, the market's perception all on my own on this one show. Um, and the number two reason is because they don't know how much it's going to cost or they fear the cost. And like now that I think about it, this is I mean, probably not the only reason, but one of the reasons. Um, and it's there is a perception amongst folks that it, it's going to be so expensive. And so they don't go. And so that this methodology doesn't just turn off, um, you know, maybe a few patients it's for short term, right. It's for short term game. Maybe, maybe, um, it's affecting the entire provider community and all the colleagues that you, you know, that one may have not rich, but you know, whoever's trying this, um, sort of, um, you know, polished, uh, high end car sales technique. Right. And, you know, cars are commodities. So if you're looking at, I don't know, whatever, say you're looking at a BMW X3 with all the goodies, that that $60,000 car is the same car at BMW of Alpharetta. See, I'm going for the Atlanta suburbs here. I think that's North a suburb of, as it is. it is at BMW of North Fulton, where John Ray is mayor. So if you don't like the salesman, you don't like the price they're giving you, you can go to another BMW dealership and get the exact same car. But it's our job as dentists to show our patients, this is the office for you. You're getting the best treatment. We're treating you like gold. We care about you. We're considerate. We're making things pain-free. We're taking you back on time. We're doing all these things that nobody else does. And and decommoditize dentistry by doing all those things. Amen. And so, and this is the thing. So, you know, I negotiate for a living. That's what I do. And so when I go to car dealerships, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready for you. You know, I've got my helmet on. I've got my, I'm mentally prepared. and. I shouldn't 
and it, but it's different these days because you know what? It's everything's more transparent. So there's less games, but there's still a lot. So you're still going in there and they still waste too much of my damn time. I don't want that when I'm going to a dentist. I want to trust somebody who's putting their fingers in my mouth, right? Or, you know, certainly in my wife's or my kids. And, and if I don't trust you or if I think you, then, you know, that's, that's a problem for me. Um, so, and I think that there's a lot of people that do that, you know, frankly. So, and especially those of us who can probably afford whatever treatment plan you drop, you know, and don't have dental insurance and don't really care and have a HSA or an FSA. Does that make sense? Um, so this is really eye opening, I think for me, you know, so I appreciate you shedding some light into the dental practice management consultant world. Um, tell me a little bit about Las Vegas. Um, are you planning on opening that show back up? Oh, is that the $64,000 question? I got to say at this point, I don't know. We did our Las Vegas convention and it was originally called, um, the Richards Report Super Fall Seminar. This was after our, our newsletter, The Richards Report, which was something that's, um, that we did way back in the late 80s, early 90s. And the attendees loved it so much that they kind of insisted that we rename it TBSE, the best seminar ever, which we did. And we did it for 25 years. And it was an amazing seminar in Vegas. We had about 3,000 attendees each time. Incredible speakers, everybody in one big room. Um, rock and roll staging and lighting, entertainment, music, videos, fun, comedy, and also the best dental speakers in the world. And it was really crazy because some, I don't know how this even started, but practices started dressing in costumes. And you would go in there the first day and it would look like Halloween. And they were incredibly creative. And like other people in the hotel didn't know what the heck was going on. They certainly didn't think it was a dental convention. So right. it was a lot of fun. Um, but also, as you can imagine, a ton of work. Uh, we had, you know, many full-time staff members who were taking care of TBSE. And after 25 years, TBSE 2019, we decided to retire it, which turned out to be the luckiest move ever because we all know what happened in 2020. Mm. Um, so will you live TBSE, a charmed life, Rich Meadow? Ah, that was the luckiest thing ever. I wish, I, I wish I could say it was skill and foresight, but it was just luck. Um, <laughs> So I can't say I'm really missing it yet, um, but a bunch of our regular attendees are starting to, you know, nudge a little bit. Hey, you got to bring TBSE back. So will it come back in a couple of years? I don't know. I kind of hope so, but I'm not sure. Gotcha. Well, the Richard report, I think would, I like that name a lot. Um, and so a few places I could see that going. Um, you might want to think about bringing that back, especially if you have a copyright or trademark on it. Um, and so as a composer of words, not music, I know that you do that too. Um, you've written a couple books. So one of the books, what, how many books have you written? Um, you know, I've, well, I'll just say I've written a ton more articles than actual books. I've written thousands of articles that have been published as far as actual books. Um, it's okay if it's zero, then you just tie me. No, it's not zero. Um, <laughs> well, you know, we, we actually used to compile all of our Richards Report newsletters in the books called Inside Dental Secrets. So I, I you know, when I was the writer of that, so I, I wrote about five book. or six of those. But actual, what somebody would call a book that you go into a bookstore and buy, I've written one and I've co-authored one. Gotcha. And so what are the two books called? One is called, and 
this is a long time ago. So <laughs> uh, one is called Is Your Frog Boiling? I wrote that in. Is that a cookbook? <laughs> far from it. It's, it's in the self-help slash motivational uh, category. And I'm trying to think when I wrote that. I think I wrote that in 2007. Um, and that was, you know, in its day, a, a big seller on Amazon. It was actually in bookstores, but, you know, it was a while ago. And I co-authored a book called Love is the Best Medicine. Um, so since you asked, those are my two yeah. books. Is, like is Your Frog Boiling was based on the old study done at Hopkins over 100 years ago where if you put a frog into boiling water, it jumps out immediately. But if you put the frog into lukewarm water where it's very comfortable and turn the temperature up slowly, the frog cannot perceive these incremental temperature changes and boils to death in this water. So that was my philosophy, whatever metaphor there was that a lot of us have our personal frogs that are boiling where little things happen in our lives. And instead of making the effort to change or improve, we just kind of accept them and they get worse and worse and worse and worse. And before long, our frog is boiling. And I, I think at the time I wrote that, I had experienced something a few years prior where my personal frog was boiling, which led mm -hmm. to a really serious near-death experience and some changes I made in my life. And then I was able to translate that into a book. And I did a, a seminar series on that, which was really fun and did that in numerous cities across the country. So that's Is Your Frog Boiling? It's so funny you, you asked that because I just got a notice from Amazon that um, – I think last week four copies of it were sold, which I, <laughs> no, I, I will probably buy a copy. And I think our <laughs> listeners, it sounds like a great book. I like the premise of it. Uh, there's nothing like life experience. Uh, the best teacher. Uh, sometimes it hurts, but you learn occasionally. If you don't learn, then you end up driving around purple Corvette with yuck mouth. Um, <laughs> So I think that that's really cool. And I like the fact that you have diversified your creative talents. So I admire that quite a bit. You, I, it must take a lot of energy um, to, to do all of those things that you are doing. Um, so kudos to you. I, maybe you should share some diet tips or something, exercise tips with me, because I need to tap into that fountain of youth and, and energy. Eat less um, and exercise more. That's, that's pretty much my tip. Mm, anything that I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem, right? <laughs> right. Um, so uh, kind of one of the things when I was looking at, I don't know, kind of your, your topics and, you know, you know, Rich, like this, we don't, we haven't worked together really. And so this is our first kind of foray and experience that we're sharing with the world. Um, and I'm like, all right, who is this Rich Maddow guy? And then I found, uh, you know, kind of a couple things. One that caught my attention is uh, dumb things that smart dentists do. And so I was like, that sounds pretty funny. Um, I wanted, so I wanted to bring it up and ask you about that. When, can you give me expand on that a little bit? Sure. Dumb things that smart dentists do. Well, during the pandemic, um, everything changed in our world, in everybody's world, of course, but as a dental coach and lecturing dentist, you know, my world changed in several ways. One of which is that, or was, I hope it's a was that the pretty robust speaking schedule that I had ended because all these live meetings ended and we had to start doing webinars. And I just found that with webinars, the content had to be a little different. The approach had to be a little different. It's just different than a live show. So I, I decided to kind of write some brand new stuff for our webinars, which worked out really well. So we did a few, and then we wanted to schedule a new webinar. And I'm sitting at my desk 
started to make a list of these things that I wanted to talk about in this webinar. And I've got our local, local college radio station blasting away because I think best when there's loud music on. And they played this song by Paul Kelly and the Messengers called I've Done All the Dumb Things. Now, I don't know if any of your listeners have heard that song. Very popular in Australia, I think in the late 80s. Never much of a, didn't make much of a mark here in the US. But he's kind of lists all these things. And in the chorus, he keeps repeating, I've done all the dumb things. And I thought, wow, I'm making a list right now of so many dumb things that I've done. And you know what? Dentists are really smart. You know, I'm not saying I am, but I'll say all the other dentists are really smart. We've got to get really good grades in college in a difficult major like biochemistry or microbiology, get into dental school, go through four years of torture, then be thrown out into the real world and kind of figured a lot of things out on our own. And most of us do it. So dentists are really smart, but we've done so many dumb things along the way. Maybe I can do a webinar outlining a bunch of dumb things that I've done that many smart dentists have done. And it'll be fun, and we'll learn that way. So I created this new new seminar slash webinar called Dumb Things That Smart Dentists Do. And it's going over really well, and it's a lot of fun to present. So you want me to tell you some of the dumb things? Yeah, give me uh, hit me with the highlights. Give me top three. Top three. Well, I don't know if these are the top three, but we'll do three. How's that? We'll do, do, we'll do three that, that I will get. Okay. So well, let's keep the get, bar low. You'll get all of them. I guarantee oh. you. It's good to keep the bar low, except when you're doing limbo dancing. Then it's better to keep the bar high, I've noticed. Mm. Yep. Excellent observation. Keen insight. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It's it's not a euphemism, though, is it? No. Mm -mm. It's an analogy. Okay. One dumb thing that smart dentists do. Uh, Actually, not not an analogy, particular about language. So cut that one wrong. I can tell. Okay. It's not an an analogy. It's not a, it's an adage. Mm, I, I think so. Happen. We'll go with that. For John okay. Ray. John Ray, John give Ray. it a thumbs up. All right. John Ray says. Give, give it a thumbs up. Purple right. thumb. Yeah, very good. Dentists are fixated on getting new patients into their practice. It is the new patient fix. When somebody comes to us seeing if we're a good match for coaching or you know, seeing what it's like to work with us, 80, 90% of the dentists, dental practices say, we need more new patients. We need more new patients. It's like a mantra. They just repeat it over and over again. And look, I've heard this. I love new patients. New patients are great. If you don't get new patients in your practice, you're probably not growing. But when we do our data analysis, just about every single time we find that they've got the widest open back door, you know, it's so difficult to get a new patient. What do we do to get new patients? Maybe we're doing some marketing, some SEO, pay-per-click ads. Boiling um, frog. Maybe, limbo. That? Limbo. Boiling maybe we're frog. doing a limbo. limbo. Maybe maybe we're doing my favorite method, which is giving our patients an experience that is so fantastic that they tell their friends and coworkers about us. But whatever it is, we're making efforts to get new patients. But then it's like a big bus full of new patients pulls up to our office. They get out. They walk in the front door, single file. Maybe they stop in the dentist treatment room. Maybe they stop in the hygiene room. But then 90% of them just keep walking, go right out the back door. And our data analysis of each dental practice shows this, that just about every dental practice is losing patients. In most cases, losing more patients that are existing patients that should be patients in the practice, losing more patients than we're having come in as new patients, a negative patient flow. It's crazy. It's so much more... What, like, what, what do you guys call that? So I call it retention rate. So in, in, in my, this is my verbs I came up with, but the, you're, you're spot on. And I don't have to tell you, you've been doing this longer than I have. Um, and I'm like, 
Yeah. Okay. You're getting 30 new patients a month. That's great. But, uh, like what's your, are you keeping them? You know, like what's your exactly. retention? And they're like, exactly. what's retention? What you talking about? I know. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's, that's one dumb thing that smart dentists do is they focus way too much on new patients to the detriment of keeping their existing patients happy and keeping them in the practice. And I'll say most practices that we talk to have what I call a million dollar file cabinet. If you look at the patients who've been in, they've had examinations, they've had treatment diagnosed, but they never had the treatment completed and they left the practice or they're just kind of in limbo where they're technically in the practice, but don't have a hygiene appointment scheduled. You've got a million dollars worth of treatment sitting right there. Yet you're spending all your time and energy focusing on new patients. Mm hmm. All right. This makes sense to me. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. Uh, and give me one more as uh, we're wrapping up. John Ray's giving me the eyeball. Um, just one more. Oh man. Yeah. Give me two. Give me, give me, give me some highlights. Um, retention. I'll I'll, I'll be real quick. A lot of dentists think that if they're having issues with their practice, not being productive as they, as much as they would like that the answer lies in going into more debt by spending a lot of money on fancy high-tech equipment. And look, I'm not a Luddite. I think high-tech dentistry is incredible. Um, you know, being able to, to mill your crowns right in the office while the patient waits is amazing. Having a cone beam to show you these beautiful 3D images, incredible. But if your practice isn't productive, it's not because you don't have a CEREC machine or a cone beam x-ray. It's because you're doing some fundamental things poorly that you need to systematize and get the proper protocols. And, and the salesman of the convention is going to tell you, yeah, you buy this $100,000 crown milling machine, it's going to do everything for your practice. But it's not. As I always say, I'm, I'm not getting that crown unless you can do it in one appointment. Say no patient ever. Yes, it's great to have these expensive high-tech pieces of equipment in your office, but they're not going to save your practice. And if you're not doing the other things, right, the small things, the blocking and tackling, as a football coach might say, you're just going to go more into debt and be frustrated. So again, I love technologies, but they will not be the answer to your practice struggles. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all solution. I've talked to so many docs and you know, I ask them, so as a consumer, I'm going to bring this into a consumer. Um, like, so Sarek, Sarek to me is like a I don't know, it's Coke, it's soda. Everybody calls, pet, you know, cola, Coke in yes. the South, right? Clean and, yeah, right. And so that's just Cheater. how I learned it. So I know there's other same day crowns, no disrespect. I'm sure they're all awesome. Um, but I was at, I was working at Humana at the time and I was a pretty busy guy, right? So as you can imagine. And so I'm sitting in the chair and Doc comes in. And he's like, hey, listen, like how old, you know, showing me the stuff on the thing. And he's like, how old is this crown? And I'm like, I don't know, 10 years, 15 years. And he's like, well, you you know, you really need a new crown. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right, but I don't have time. And he's like, um, <laughs> you know, and he's like, well, I'll have it done in an hour. And I was like, an hour? And he's like, so you can keep watching Sports Center and reading and checking your email on your phone like you're doing right now while I'm presenting this treatment plan to you. And I was like, so I stopped and I looked at him and I said, an hour sold did i ask how much it was doesn't matter because what does the good lord not make more of time land and time right and so i can't get that back and so then and i'm a huge dork too so he's like i'm gonna have a dent so i walk back there this is i don't know a while back now like this over 10 years ago now and so i have videoed the milling machine it's you know i'm a 
this is a, I've been in the dental insurance world since I was 19. And so I went home and showed it to my wife. She's like, you're such a dork. But I thought it was cool. And the doc, shout out to Jason England, um, was he's like, I'm the Picasso of these, these crowns. Right. And, and I'll tell you, I still have the crown. It's better than the original crown. It's probably better than the original tooth. So he did a great job and I loved it. And I tell everybody about it, but I had no idea as a consumer that I could get a crown done like that. Now I will then contrast that with all of the conversations that I've had. And I'm talking hundreds, if not thousands, and you have two right so you back me up on this but when i'm because i'm not clinical i talk to the docs i'm like hey do you have a seric machine or like no because i either a don't have the time or we don't have the the personnel to do it or i don't like that technology i like using this lab because this lab does x y and z right right um and they have their own reason and their own rationale and i've been in plenty of offices where that what how much are they quarter million two hundred thousand hundred thousand beats me um, anyway, they're just sitting in the corner, like gathering dust. That's a real expensive dust collector, dust collector. You know what I mean? So, um, I wouldn't invest in something unless you know, all right, that it's going to, that you're going to take it. And then there's a little bit of an education, you know, thing where like I ask other people who are not in the dental community, I'm like, did you know you can get crowns done in the same day? And they're like, huh? Well, you know, now who wants to do that? Entrepreneurs, business owners, right? professional c-suite right people that don't have time to hang out like listen i love to go some dental offices are like spas they give me warm towels and nitrous and we have nice music it's great man it's a good break for my day but i still don't i can't make more time man right yeah so any any comments i guess on on that as far as well i I, look you gave an example where you actually did get that crown because it could be made the same day and that's really cool and i say fantastic to you and your dentist i don't think it's the norm Again, I'm not against Sarek. Are you saying I'm not normal, Rich? I I didn't say it, but I think it's pretty obvious. John Um, says it all the time. Right. I'm not against Sarek. I just want to make that clear. Or cone beams or anything. But for most dentists. And I'm not clinical, just to be clear. That investment (laughs) is not going to solve the issues that you're coming to me with. So Uh, that's that's, that's what I wanted to make clear there. All right, so buying the Sarek machine is not going to bring in the Patrick O'Rourke to the world or, you know, do anything really for you. If your business, if the fundamentals of your business are failing, if they're not answering the phone right. correctly, right? Yeah, if they're so, coming right. in you and you're not running on the, time, you know. You've got somebody sitting at the front desk who doesn't know how to get the patient off the phone into the appointment book, which we find about 99% of the time, you're never going to have the opportunity to present the same day crown to them. So right. what good does it do you? Right. Amen. So it's all about being on trust and rapport and your reputation. Um, that I think speaks volumes because people do talk, you know, I mean, we're a reputation based business. I mean, that's, we don't really do any sales and marketing. So, um, you know, well, so rich, if you are not going and building this huge Las Vegas event anymore, like what are you doing with your time, brother? <laughs> I'm extremely busy. I mean, I, you know, always coming up with new content for our people. Um, constantly writing, blogging, doing our webinars, being involved with, you know, helping dentists and team members all across the world improve their practices. And our coaching program is really robust. And even though I'm not the person that goes in the offices, um, you know, I'd like to personally meet with anybody who's interested in learning about coaching. So that takes a lot of time and be on top of every, every dentist that we work with. So I know what's going on. Um, like the welder. So that's, you know, not like that. Like what? The welder. Not like the welder. I don't even catch that reference, but sure. Not like the welder. Um, so that's what I do. And, you know, I, 
I'm amazed at how busy things have been. I, I don't have the time to take off that I want to do. Uh, maybe some other things I should be doing, but I'll, I'll work on that. So I think that you should work on some music for the show. That's what I personally think is I was impressed by your, your musical acumen just by well, I've got your, musical your knowledge Spotify. of the demographics. You, you could have used that on your show. You could have gone to Spotify and looked up the, um, the album coming through with static by Richard Maddow and then use that as the intro and outro, but See, you didn't we, do it. So we didn't know each other at the time. I don't want to steal yeah. your music or appropriate it as, as the artists call it. I don't know if that's well, Spotify pays me point oh 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 one cent every time somebody oh, plays it. So. You must be rich. Do you have a purple Corvette? Not yet. Not no. yet. If I get 3 billion more plays of the song lightning over Detroit, I get a purple Corvette. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that that's awesome. So you're blogging and I'm going to be interested. So if I want to find your blog, if I want to find out what you're doing, I would imagine you're like, I was on dental business radio today and I was talking to, to Patrick O'Rourke. He eh, seemed okay, but blah, 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 you know, and you're writing your opinion, et cetera on it. Right. Is that what happens? Um, sure. I'm asking because I, I, I really don't know. Well, you know, I, well, if you want to find out, that kind of stuff. The best thing is to go to Mado.com, M-A-D-O-W.com. So we've got a lot of stuff on there, but if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you can sign up for our e-letter, which comes out two or three times a week. And very often I'll write, you know, all kinds of things in the e-letter, practice management tips, um, you know, just team building tips, all those things. And of course, we'll let people there know when we have upcoming webinars and about coaching and all those things. So that's the best way to find out. Go to M-A-D-O-W.com. And if you really want to get something cool for free, you can go to mado.com slash profit. So it's M-A-D-O-W.com slash P-R-O-F-I-T and get a free copy of our profitable dental scheduling book, which is loaded with great information for how to get patients off the phone and into the appointment book. That's awesome. Rich, thank you very much for sharing that with all of our listeners. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I think you also have a podcast too, which podcast called? The Dental Practice Fixers. And every week, along with answering listener questions and giving a little you know, tip here and there, we do mystery shopper calls. Every week, I call dental practices posing as a potential new patient. And it's, it's funny, but it's also scary. It is, I mean, it's amazing how tough it is to get a dental practice to offer you an appointment. It's mind-blowing. So, Check out. The I got I'm, I've got to tune in. I'm definitely going to. I'm going to check that out. I will post it on my Instagram, which I that'll be great. Recently learned about from one of our other guests, Nate Coverman. Um, well, this this has been awesome. Do you have any questions, concerns, feedback for me right now? Um, I don't have any questions or concerns. My feedback is that I think you are excellent podcast host. I really enjoy being here. Your questions are um, intuitive and inventive, and show that even though you're mostly involved in dentistry through the insurance side of it, you really do have a great feel and knowledge for what's going on in dental practices. And that was really refreshing and impressive. So thanks so much for all of that. Yeah, that's very kind of you to say. Uh, listeners, if you have positive feedback or if you really like the show, I promise you good karma if you go and rate it five stars. If you don't like the show, please contact John Ray not me. All right. Um, and so I'd like to thank uh, once again to our sponsor, Practice Quotient, PPO Analysis and Negotiation. They are national professional uh, PPO contract analysis and negotiation firm for your top tier doc. And you are not getting top tier compensation from your 
business partners that you're participating with, then you should contact the professionals at Practice Quotient. That's www.practicequotient, Q-U-O-T-I-E-N as in Nancy, T.com. Um, thank you very much, Rich Maddow. This has been a hoot. Uh, until next time, this is your host, Patrick O'Rourke.